Uh, I'd like to draw your attention now to today's passage. It comes from Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And uh, we'll start from verse 34, and we'll go all the way to 48. So let's all rise as we read Acts 10, verses 34 to 48. And this is God's word. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of all, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Amen. Well, praise the Lord that he uses his people all around the world, far and near, to proclaim his gospel. And as we continue in our sermon series in Acts, that's exactly what we're going to see today. The gospel advancing, the mission of God going forth, As we go through this, I want to draw our attention to verse 8 in chapter 1 once more. If you look up with me, this is what it says. This is the words of Jesus. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Everything that has happened so far, all the things that will continue to proceed throughout the book of Acts, and even for our present reality today, is a testimony to God's promise here, simply found in verse 8, that the Word of God, that the good news of Jesus will advance forward to the ends of the earth. So if I can just do a quick overview for us. We know that the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. It enabled everyone to speak 
in their own language and testify to the gospel of Jesus. And we're told that day by day, the number of believers increased. Simply that the gospel advanced. However, we also know that as many people came to faith, persecution also followed. Peter and John, they were brought in twice, charged, beaten, the second time with all the other apostles, by the Jewish council to stop preaching, to stop teaching, and to stop doing ministry in the name of Jesus. They beat them, charged them, released them, and as a result, we're told that more came to Christ. Again, here, the gospel advanced. Stephen, one of the first deacons, proclaims the gospel and he's stoned to death by an angry mob. Following this event, we're told that this almost ignited a great persecution against the church led by a man named Saul. This led to the scattering of believers, and we know because of that scattering and persecution, Philip ends up in Samaria. Where there too, the gospel is preached and many come to faith. The gospel crossed ethnic, cultural, and traditional boundaries. The gospel advanced. Philip then ended up crossing paths with an Ethiopian eunuch who seemed to have it all on the outside, but struggled deeply with being cut off. He was labeled and identified by the world as unworthy and without legacy, without the ability to carry out his own name as a eunuch. But he came to know the name above all names. He came to faith in the one who can call him by name. And he came to believe and trust in the one who gives him an everlasting name. And came to faith. The gospel, again, advanced. We're told that persecution continued by Saul as being the tip of the spear. He was breathing threats and murders against the church. He got all the documentations, the legality straightened up so that he can go out, capture men and women who follow the way, and bring them to the council so that they would be questioned, thrown in jail, or even stoned. Yet we remember from last week that the Lord turned this man and He turned him to be used as an instrument for the kingdom. He was made a new creation. The very one who ravaged the church, who would come to capture, was captivated by God to see the good news of Jesus. And we know by the words of God that he will now know what it means to suffer for the name of Jesus. The gospel here reached one of the most hard-hearted men. Murderous, vicious, last expected men. But the gospel advanced. The main point of today's message and today's text I want us to think about is this. It's simple. is that the gospel is for everyone and the gospel will advance. The backdrop of our text today in chapter 10 is vast. This is actually the longest narrative found in the book of Acts. And if you look at verse 1, it takes place in Caesarea, which is the heart of the Roman government in Judea. And here we're introduced to a man who is a centurion and part of the Roman army. He's a soldier. He's a leader. His name is Cornelius. 
He was a part of the Italian cohort, and we're told that he is a God-fearing man. Much like the Ethiopian eunuch, he was not Jewish, but somehow learned of who God was. And he feared him, and he desired to know him more. With all the education, with all the experience that this man must have had, with all the religiosity and, and deity surrounding him, somehow he recognized that the God of the Old Testament was the one true God. And he practiced faithfully as best he could through prayer, through the giving of alms to the poor. We're told that during one of his times of prayer, Cornelius saw a clear vision. He was instructed to send for Peter, who's also known as Simon, we'll get to that later, so that he could essentially now hear the explicit good news of Jesus Christ, that he would know and fear God in a personal and intimate way through the person of Jesus. Look at verses 3 to 6 with me above. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He was startled. I'm sorry. And he stared at him. And in terror, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. I don't know about you, in my mind, here you have all the ingredients and details to make for a great musical. Maybe after this, we'll see it on Broadway someday, and if the powers that be are listening, please send the royalties to Walton Lee at 706 Whitmer Road in Horsham. And everyone, just brace yourselves, we're about to blow up. If you think about it here, we have a Roman soldier who's a centurion. He's part of the Italian cohort. He receives a vision, a clear vision from God. He's told to seek out a man named Simon, who also goes by the name Peter. And if that's not confusing enough, Simon Peter is staying with a guy who's also named Simon. But this one's a tanner. And he lives by the sea. There once was a man by the name of Simon, a tanner who lives by the sea. Thank you. You guys have no imagination. Come on, you know how much I wrestled? Should I, should I do it? No, they can't handle that. Presbyterians, am I, am I right? We got to tell you when to stand. We got to tell you when to sing, when to clap, when to smile, when to sit, when to greet each other. Can you imagine a newcomer? Hey, I'm Bob. Whoa, buddy. It's not the time for salutation right now. Got to wait. Pastor past didn't say we can greet each other yet. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm messing. Come on, church. Yes, you're a lot of laugh. You're a lot of laugh. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, oh, oh. Praise the Lord. I'm just kidding. Well, the scene continues. After seeing what Cornelius saw in his vision by the Lord, it changes now to Simon Peter, and we see from his perspective something that's going on. And it's going to converge soon, so sit tight with me. Now, we're with Peter. It's the sixth hour. It's high noon. We're told he's on the housetop praying. He's praying and he's hungry, but he realizes that lunch isn't ready yet and he falls asleep and he dreams about animals. Friends, have you ever been so hungry that you fall asleep and dream about animals? 
I know my sons probably have. They, they need to be fed every hour on the hour where they get cranky like me. Now Peter is praying. He's hungry. He's tired. He falls asleep. Now Peter receives a vision. He's not sure what this means. He thinks it has to do with food and dietary restrictions in the dream. He's told, he, he sees all these animals and he's told to kill them and eat them. And Peter's reluctant because he knows the traditional uh, Jewish law surrounding what you're allowed to eat and what you're not allowed to eat. It's a tension between what is religiously clean and unclean. And then God assures him that everything that God has made is clean. This conversation, we're told, happens three times between Peter and God before he wakes up. And the whole time I'm wondering, who's the chef down there? It must be his first day. What's taking him so long? This man's hungry. Well, this happens three times. Peter wakes up. In verse 16 and 17, we're told that Peter is not just hungry anymore. He's inwardly perplexed. Poor guy. He's not sure what this vision meant. But would you know it? Just as he woke up, Cornelius' men arrived, traveling from Caesarea, and they asked for Peter. There once was a man named Simon, Tanner, who lives by the sea. They're like, this Simon or that Simon or that Simon? They find Peter, and these men basically tell him, hey, our master, our leader, Cornelius, he had this vision. He sent us to come get you. You got to come with us. The next day, Peter goes, follows them. He's still not sure what's going on. Peter gets up. He goes with the men. He ends up at the house of Cornelius. And at that house gathered are all of Cornelius' family, his relatives, and his close friends. This man called everyone he knew for a worship service. He wanted everyone to hear the message from Peter. Peter finally understands what his vision was about. Cornelius is about to find out why the Lord asked him to send for Peter. Verse 27 to 29, you see, that he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know, this is Peter speaking, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Cornelius basically tells him his vision again. In verse 33, he says, So I sent for you at once at the command of God, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And Peter's standing there. Basically, he's just been asked to preach. Brother, give us the good news. Tell us what the Lord commanded you. If I were Peter, I'd be panicking. I don't know how to preach today. What day is it? Sunday already? Oh, my goodness. Probably say, hey, praise leader, let's, let's start with 12 songs, and then uh, we'll, next we'll read through the Torah. And the whole time you're like, what am I going to preach? What am I going to say? Now, there's a lot we can say, and perhaps too much has already been said. But I think the main point here is that God often works in these mysterious and strange ways that we can't quite understand in the moment. But in faith, as we look back, we can see that he has a plan for his gospel to advance. It's trite, I know, it's cliche maybe, but the statement is true that God works in his time and his way. It's often not fully clear to us 
but we can see it through eyes of faith, here and there, glimpses. You know, there are times in our lives, in your lives, I'm sure that God seems to be nudging us towards something as it pertains to kingdom work or mission or evangelism or simply in in growing and trusting in our faith. Sometimes it can be as simple as praying for someone or sharing an encouraging word, finding a way to, to, to personally share the gospel with someone that you've been praying for. You know, I can't interpret every feeling or inclination, conviction, or liver shiver, but I can say that if you think the Lord is calling you to share the gospel or live it out in a certain way for the sake of Christ, no matter how unsure you may be, to be faithful to it, to get up and go. It might not make sense at the time why you're staying with another guy who has the same name as you, who lives by the sea, who's a tanner, and why these random people are coming and asking you then to share the good news or whatever it may be on your context and on your side. Perhaps the Lord has a plan, though. Perhaps the Lord is moving all his pieces for the good news of Jesus to advance. One thing that's for sure is that the gospel is for everyone. And the gospel will advance. Verse 34 to 36, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. If if the gospel is for all those who fear God and desire to live right by him, then they must hear the explicit good news of peace through Jesus, who is Lord of all. And I want to focus on that as we close, that, that there is a good news of peace through Jesus, who is Lord of all. Because here in, in, the, in, in the book of Acts in chapter 10, we see the gospel going forth, breaking all boundaries. Whatever you thought could be a limitation, geographical, spatial, cultural, racial, even, even something personal to a human being, their, their anger, their bitterness, their savagery, their, their violence, their, their resistance to, to, to the gospel. Whatever you thought could possibly be in the way of the gospel, we see the gospel advances through that. So much so now it has gone beyond the borders of just a a Jewish tradition or religion, but now it's going and starting to make its way to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, to those who, who don't necessarily have a birthright or a claim, but to anyone who fears God and desires to live right by Him. And if you come across in your journey in the short span of life, anyone who may fear God and and desires to live right by Him, then perhaps that is a call to share this good news in a personal and delicate way about Jesus, who's Lord over all and gives us peace. Every human being knows what darkness feels like. That's That's a common denominator for all of us. They know what it feels like to be without peace. They know in their hearts that there is a God. Everyone in their hearts knows that there is a God and and that we were meant to be in relationship with Him. That's a simple fact. 
Don't be convinced otherwise. It's foolish. Every human being knows to some degree the image of God that has been placed on them, the sense of eternity that's been placed in their hearts. And that's why often in those crisis moments, in those critical moments, in the desperate times of shock, we cry out, oh my God. Or we ask, why God? People who have never believed in God, when something terrible happens, they blame God. Because to, to even in that twisted lack of understanding, they know that God is overall. And even so-called atheists blame God. The fact is that all of us, every human being, to some degree or another, sometime in our life, end up turning to God for saving in time of need. People need to know that in their darkness, in their journey for seeking peace, when they're crying out, why God? When they're crying out, oh my God. That they don't have to turn to shamans or gurus or self-help books. They don't have to go to Lucky Charms or money, or wealth, or beauty, or reputation, or even pain-numbing substances. They need to know that when they, when they are feeling this, when they are desperate, when they are seeking, when they are without peace, that they can turn to the God who's created them, who knows them intimately and desires a deep relationship, a fatherly relationship with them. They need to know in their lack of peace that there is a God who is over peace. A God who sees them, hears them, knows them, and remembers the promises He has made to them. As we see in Exodus, as God does with the Israelites. They need to know that that is possible. When you come across someone who fears the Lord and desires to live right by Him, and you find yourself randomly placed, put on the spot to share what the Lord has put on your heart, then bring the gospel of Jesus who gives us peace, who is Lord over all. They need to know that it is possible to find peace in darkness. Because at the core, all of our darkness is because of sin. It's like a virus that's in us. It's like a pandemic that's all around us. And they need to know that someone has the cure for this sin, for this darkness, for this brokenness. They need to know that Jesus died for and paid the price for their sins and the sins of the world. They need to know that through Jesus, there is peace with God. Peace with who they are. Peace with themselves. Peace with those around them. Peace that surpasses all knowledge. Peace that cannot be taken away even by pain or death. They need to know that there is a peace that is given by Jesus who is Lord over all, who is Lord of all, who is Lord over even death. They need to know that Jesus is coming again and will wipe away their tears and usher in an everlasting home where death and pain and mourning is no more. Why does the gospel advance so tenaciously? Because people need it. Because it is good news. Because it is living water for the parched soul. It's light upon to our feet for the ones who are in darkness. This is why the gospel advances. This is why Jesus came. This is why Peter finds himself in a room full of people waiting to hear 
what God has placed on his heart about Jesus and the testimonies that he can witness to. This is the promise. This, this is the mission. So let me close by saying that the, the gospel is not just for those who have their theology straight. The gospel is also for those who don't quite have their theology straight, like the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, and even some degree Peter, who, who thought that some people were clean and some people were unclean, that in the beginning he thought, I can't travel there or go there, but God says, you can go anywhere. This gospel will advance. And he sends them to another country, to another people, where tradition would hold him back. And God says, preach. Preach the good news of peace in my son Jesus, who's Lord over all. The gospel is also for those who are outside, hungry for the truth, but the gospel is also for those who are habitually religious, who think they are theologically straight, who, who, who think they do know it all and understand. We see this time and time again from the Jews in the early church who are humbled once more in their religiosity and come to know God in a true and intimate way through the person of Jesus, and not just theology about Jesus. You know, let, let, me, let me confess to you as, as, as a minister of the word, as, as someone whose job is to preach, I often find myself in the camp of uh, feeling a lot like you guys, uh, sometimes hopeless, and our sister talked about hope and the peace of Christ as the Holy Spirit pours in, and we didn't plan that, praise the Lord. You know, I often find that after a while, I can't do it on my own strength. I find that if I am to truly a steward of this gospel message of Jesus, then I need to come to Jesus often. And, and friends, brothers and sisters, perhaps even as we hear the call to missions, even as we hear the call to evangelize, to share the good news of peace, you're lacking peace in your own heart as well. And if that's you, you're in a good place. Uh, like our sister Esther Lou shared on Friday, as we talked about uh, struggles with depression and anxiety, uh, she said that a lot of people say to her, I, something to the effect of, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to turn this off. I, I can't do it on my own. To which she would often reply, what if that's the point? <laughs> what, if, what if the point is you're, you're not supposed to do it on your own? What if the point is you're not... You, you can't just turn on a switch and be better. What if it's a call to turn outward to God and remember him once more? So friends, um, I'm sure many of you guys are, are feeling also the lack of peace in your, in your lives. But in that desperation, in that darkness, will you, will you turn to the Lord? Can we, at this time, as we gather, can we also bless the Lord together? Let us bless the Lord together. Let us worship his holy name. Let us sing like never before. That whatever may pass and whatever lies before us, we can be singing when the evening comes. Let me pray for us.